With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. There's no bigger fan of the Iowa Hawkeyes than Iowa's premier dish retailer, Big Dog Satellite and Solar. If you can't watch live, there's no better way to record every game than the Hopper from Dish. Search or call Big Dog today and ask for the Hawkeye Tailgater Special. For one more beer for me. Exile means quality, so savagely. Best beer in all the land, brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can, Exile Brewing, E-X-I-L-E. For me, E-X-I-L-E, let's drink football. Enjoy your HN Podcast, I am John Miller along with Steve Dace. Let's talk a little football before we talk a little basketball, Iowa Hawkeye related. Steve, you are a huge NFL draft fan. At least I think you are. Maybe you're not, but um, you get pretty into it more so than any other person I know. Um, I I saw something from the NFL Draft's official website uh, on Tuesday, the day we record this podcast. Um, the final NFL Combine medals count. I didn't know that this was a thing. Maybe you can tell me if it is or not. They they basically have you know several categories that players test out in, and whichever player gets the number one grade in that potential category in that category, I guess they're going gold, silver, and bronze on us now. So all that being said, Iowa was the uh, winner of all programs. Uh, with players represented at the combine with 11 total medals, uh, the most gold medals in five, thanks a lot to Noah Fant. Uh, in the Big Ten, Iowa was first, Michigan was third, and then Penn State and Ohio State tied for fifth. How, how long has this medal count been going on? This is the first that I've heard of it. I think it's a clever idea, though. You know, And I yep. certainly think it's something that has – particularly in today's social media age, it has, um, it has some value in terms of sharing content. And, um, you know, I think that with those three schools you're looking at, uh, first of all, it's a huge, uh, uh, it's a huge testament to their strength and conditioning programs in every case, uh, when you're dealing with that level of development. Um, and, you know, everybody likes to uh, – well, I shouldn't say everybody, but a, a lot of people like to poo-poo the, the combine and call it the underwear Olympics and everything else. And, and a lot of it is because uh, they don't understand its value. And um, it's, it kind of reminds me of the RPI in college basketball prior to you know bringing in the net rankings this year. Everybody would sit there and say, well, you know, they really use the RPI. And then you'd go look at it, and pretty much if you were in the top 50 of the RPI – you were in the NCAA tournament about 99% of the time, you know? And so I think, cause you know, people thought that the RPI meant wasn't used because they didn't just sit there and say, well, you're uh, you know, a region and you're 29th in the RPI. 
So that must mean that, uh, you know, you're an, you're, a, you're an eight seed. I mean, it, 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 it wasn't that rote, but it was a good framework. And the same thing is true of the combine. And, and, and TV doesn't really present many of the drills. You know, like I think it's, you know, everybody wanted to show, you know, uh, Rashawn Gary runs a four, five, eight, 40. Well, I'm actually far more impressed that Chase Winovich has a 1.5 10-yard split because how the hell often many times the defensive lineman run a 40 run 40 yards. Now, they run 10 yards pretty much every snap though. That, and so a lot of the drills that really tell us um, you know, what what translates to the skill set being asked of that player on an in an actual game often don't get shown. And and then you get you gotta, you gotta understand when there's a difference between production and athleticism. You know, the, idealistically, like DK Metcalf at Ole Miss had a Calvin Johnson like workout. You know, Calvin Johnson probably had the greatest wide receiver workout in the history of the combine, and the legend has it that he wasn't going to run the forty. And Mike Mayock in NFL Network challenged his manhood, and so he borrowed another dude's shoes and ran a four three eight. Okay, <laughs> you know, so. DK Metcalf at Ole Miss had, had a workout that challenged his, uh, what Calvin Johnson did. But, um, you know, you look at his college production, he's been banged up. And so, you know, if you just did a workout, you'd think that guy should be the number two pick in the draft like Calvin Johnson was. On, on my draft board, though, I have him in the 20s because i got to balance that out with, you know, his production. And then you look at a player like, uh, you know, Iowa fans will know very well, Montez Sweat. You all saw him in, in, in the last game of the year in the in, in the, in the in the Outback Bowl, well, Montez Sweat put up huge numbers in the SEC for two full seasons. Went down to the Senior Bowl, which is really the most important event after the season ends, because it's the first time these guys get pro coaching from active NFL staffs on each side, and they do NFL drills and scouting and weigh-ins all week long. And Montez Sweat went down to the Senior Bowl. Probably was the best player at the Senior Bowl, regardless of position. He was just unblockable. So when, when you see the production and then you see him go up against his peer group and then you look at a workout where a guy's running a 4-4-1 at 260 pounds, which is the fastest 40 time ever for defensive linemen, now that matters to me. You know, it doesn't matter to me when some DB at Old Miss I've never heard of has a 4-2-9-40 because he didn't do anything in college. But when you line up that athleticism with the production, now you're that's when – you know, um, and then when you see guys have great workouts and, and their their tape isn't that good, that's where you'll hear the scouts like Daniel Jeremiah and others will say, you know, I gotta go back and watch that guy's tape because I need to figure out if he's a football player or if he's got a future in the CrossFit Olympics because sometimes those are two totally different things. And in the case of Iowa, what you saw with those two tight ends uh, is, is, you know, you saw workouts that showed that the production we saw from them isn't just a system thing um, because, you know, if you're an Iowa tight end, you're going to get drafted, period. I don't care if your name's George Kittle, Brandon Myers, you know, Tony Moyaki, you're getting picked. You're in a system that trains you to play in the league, et cetera. But if we're talking about these guys now, George Kittle was not a first round pick, you know? So if we're talking about two tight ends from the same team being first round picks ever, now when you look at the elite level of workout that they had, uh, and, and it was a workout that fits their skill sets. You know, in, in the case of, uh, um, of Noah Fant, he's, a, he's what we call nowadays the movement tight end. All right. He is, you know, 
the, you know, the guy like my Lions drafted in the first round a few years ago, Eric Ebron, who did nothing for us. And then we went to play with Andrew Luck and had 10 touchdowns last year. All right. So he's a guy that, you know, he, he might block if you make him, but he, he's really there to be a downfield receiver. Uh, and then you look at a guy like TJ Hawkinson, his 40 time was just okay. The rest of his workout, though, when you watch the drill where he hit the pads and you watched him take uh, Michigan's Zach Gentry was actually the guy holding his pad. And when you watch him drive Zach Gentry, who's 6'8 and 260 pounds, and he is putting him back on his heels and driving him 10 yards back. And then you start looking at the broad jump and the explosion numbers. Now, now you're talking about a guy that's more of your inline blocker, Gronkowski type, a willing blocker. Uh, gets off on it, enjoys it. And you saw, you really saw Rob Gronkowski this last year in the NFL playoffs make as much of an impact sealing the edge in the running game for the Patriots as he did catching the football. That's the game that TJ Hawkinson brings to the table. So, you know, the, the, the problem with the combine, John, is people put way too much attention to it and not enough at the exact same time because they're often looking at it for more than it is but not seeing how important it is at the same time. You talked about Hawkinson and Fant a little bit. So, would right now, if, you know, since you are just a burgeoning uh, professional odds maker extraordinaire, would you say, would you lay odds that both of those guys are going to get drafted in the first round? Yeah, I don't think either one of them will get picked in the top ten. And and you know, the team, the team that is the most likely to pick one of them would be my lions at the eighth spot because that's the most glaring position need other than edge rusher on the team um the reason why i don't think either one will get picked in the top 10 by my by my lions so i'm 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 following this even more closely than i typically would for the fact that i love the draft and you know we cover the hawks here on the podcast but i've now got an added vested interest here in that you know my team is in a lot of mock drafts in position to be to pick one of these guys it won't be Noah Fant for sure uh Noah Fant is too much like Eric Ebron even even some of the you know give me the damn ball stuff that we saw in college a little bit that you know Eric Ebron wait had was hated by the fans they booed him all the time uh uh you know active on Twitter giving his opinion and and I just can't see and and I don't believe Detroit's management will go to a, a player. I'm not saying that, you know, that's who Noah Fant is, but I think you know what I'm trying to say. I mean, their skill sets are similar. Even the knock on him was similar. Eric Ebron drops the easy pass. That's kind of the knock on Noah Fant, okay? Uh, I, don't, I don't think they'll go to a guy that's, in terms of his profile as a player, almost identical to the guy that they just that they just let uh, get away. I, I just think that would put such a glaring spotlight on him. And, you know, the, the guys also running the Lions now are Patriots people. They, they'd be much more interested in T.J. Hawkinson. But the problem that T.J. Hawkinson has is, on one hand, you know, I agree that he might be the safest pick in the draft. But this deepest tight end pool of players in, in, all, in you know, more, the 10, 15 years I've been doing mock drafts. You know, my top 100 board has eight tight ends on it. I look at a guy like Foster Moreau for LSU – who I think would be there in the third or fourth round. And, and you look at you know his measurables and stuff, they're not really that much different from T.J. Hawkinson. So is T.J. Hawkinson better, a pr- better prospect? I agree. But when you're the Lions and the last time you took a first-round tight end, the fans really revolted. You have other needs probably. 
both those quarterbacks are going to go ahead of you. Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins, which will knock down another one of those elite defensive players, maybe a guy like a Montez Sweat. Um, I, I just think that they'll go a little bit lower. I think I, I think if if one of them is sitting there when the Packers are on the board, they will go there for sure. Well, I believe because it's also a very weak free agent crop of tight ends. So I, th- I don't think they'll both get out of the top 10 or top or the first round. In fact, I don't even think they'll be the only two tight ends picked in the first round. Herb Smith of Alabama is essentially a combination of the two of them. Um, you know, he's the second best blocking tight end in the draft next to Hawkinson. Uh, and also more, it can, can be more of a movement guy. He's just not quite as athletically explosive as Noah Fant. I could see all three of those guys going in the first round. But I don't think, I don't think either of them will go in the top 10. What did you um, make of Amani Hooker's performance? It looked to me like he helped himself. Uh, he has, he, He's a guy that has amazing film, uh, and he put up some really mm-hmm. good measurables. He did. The, his vertical in particular, which is, you know, the 40-yard dash for a running back isn't that important, really. I mean, yeah, I think he'd be fast. That's great, but it's not a requirement. Uh um, you know, you look at David Montgomery at Iowa State, for example. He's great in every drill you ask a running back to be great at, except he's like a four six forty guy, you know. Um, but the vertical leap for safeties is underrated because a lot of what they're asked to do today is breaking up passes, high pointing balls. I thought that he excelled that he had one of the best verticals uh, at the position in the draft. And then I think the reputation that Iowa is beginning to develop now is kind of a midwestern you know, maybe and they're not putting the amount of DBs in the in the league that Ohio State is. You know, because frankly, nobody in this part of the country is. But uh, they're they're they've got a nice little pipeline these last few years, and it's all been similar guys, guys that are kind of three star plus prospects that need to be developed. So my point is, um, it's 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 you know. It's not the Denzel Ward style of recruit that Ohio State is getting or the Kendall Sheffield style of recruit Ohio State is getting. Um, It's guys that the program at at Iowa clearly has to develop. And they're getting a lot of the same kind of coaching. They're getting a lot of the same fundamentals. And so I think this pipeline that Iowa has the last few years, that's now where maybe an Amani Hooker with, with his tape and his measurables is, is a guy that probably is thinking, you know, I'm, I'm going to wait and tune in on, on, uh, on Saturday because I'm a third-day guy. But because of who his predecessors are, and it's, under, uh, it, it's the pipeline for that same program, now you start thinking to yourself, you know, hey, I mean, this guy's – he's ready. And this goes back even further. I mean, guys, you know, Sean Considine played a long time in the NFL. Uh, Micah Hyde is still an effective player. He signed a big free agent deal a couple of years ago in the NFL. So I think that pipeline that Iowa has only helps a guy like Amani Hooker. Anthony Nelson, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about him um, in the next podcast, the Bigger Ten podcast this week, when we talk more about the, um, the NFL Draft Combine. Also a player that doesn't look like he hurt himself. And, Steve, probably a player that made the right decision to leave with one year of eligibility left. Probably did. Um, and, the well, I here's the thing. I, I don't think he made the wrong decision. But I don't think when you have Epinesa on the other side, and that's a guy that's going to be a top 10 or 15, I pick next year, I believe. And, and he's going to be the cover boy on every magazine and everything else. The amount of attention he's going to draw 
you're not going to see a lot of, you're going to see a lot of single blocking. So I don't think he made a bad decision coming out at all. It's also a very deep draft at edge. Uh, the edge position, I think, I think of my top 100 on my board between defensive linemen and edge interior defensive linemen and edge guys. Those are 26 of the players in my top 100 and he's one of them, you know? So I think, so he made the, if you're, if you're going to be a top 100 prospect, that means a guy likely picked in the first three rounds, you made the right call, but I certainly think a case could be made that he could have improved his stock given the amount of single blocking he's likely to see. Uh, he would have likely seen the next year with AJ Vanessa on the other side. That being said, that's a guy that I think his quickness drills mattered a lot because when you, you know, some, when you're that tall, sometimes there's, there is concerns about stiffness, explosiveness, things of that nature. And, and even little things that you can get away with in, in college. If, if you're, if you're a third or a half of a second ball, because the reach advantage your height gives you, um, you know, is, it, it gives you an advantage over half, if not more than half of the teams on your schedule in this league, you're dealing with, you know, backup defensive linemen that, you know, are guys that are going to, you know, going to be an American Ninja warrior. And so him showing that he's not stiff, that he's got the bend, he's got the athleticism and quickness required. Um, I think he absolutely helped himself. It just may not be to, he may not, it may not be as early in the draft as Iowa fans are thinking though, because of how deep this position is. Not helping themselves the Iowa basketball team losing uh, against Rutgers this past weekend. Iowa now has back-to-back very ugly losses to Ohio State and Rutgers. They gave up 90 points to Ohio State. They gave up 86 points to Rutgers. And those two points right there, the points allowed by Iowa, makes what I'm about to say, I want to be clear what I'm going to bring up right now, has nothing to do with Iowa's defense. Iowa's defense is not good. Is it better than last year's? Yeah. Is it playing a lot like last year's right now? Yeah. But Steve, I've about had my fill of Big Ten basketball. If the Big Ten is going to allow its brand to continue to be played with the level of clutching holding, grabbing, hands-on that you see on the perimeter on ball and not call those as fouls, I'm, I'm just not really interested in watching Big Ten basketball. In 2013, the NCAA came out with, this is where we get the whole point of emphasis term in our lexicon. In 2013, the NCAA came out and said, we want to clean up the sport and get it back to where it's free flowing and there's freedom of movement and get the sport back to something that's more aesthetically pleasing and not more akin to rugby than basketball. And in the, mm-hmm. in the present rule book right now, section 10, article one, a player shall not hold, displace, push, charge, trip, or impede the progress of an opponent by extending arms, shoulders, hips, or knees. Article 2, a player shall not contact an opponent with his hand unless such contact is only within the opponent's hand while it is on the ball and the individual is attempting to play the ball. 
Article 3. A player shall not use his hands on an opponent to inhibit the freedom of movement of the opponent in any way. Article 4. The following acts constitute a foul when committed against a player with the ball. A. Keeping a hand or forearm on an opponent. That's a foul. B. Putting two hands on an opponent. That's a foul. C. Continually jabbing an opponent by extending an arm and placing a hand or forearm on the opponent. And D. Using an arm bar to impede the progress of a dribbler. The Big Ten, as they allow it now, those are fouls almost every possession down the court when a guard has the ball. Every team in every game. It's clearly outside the scope of what the NCAA wants from the sport. And I think that the Big Ten is about as bad of it as anybody in any other league. And I also think that this not calling the game the way the rule book is saying it's supposed to be called and the emphasis the officials are supposed to have on it. And each and every season, it gets worse and worse the farther in the season we get. I think this hurts Iowa disproportionately more than most any other team in the Big Ten not named Northwestern. And that's because Iowa doesn't have guards that can create their own shot, that can be quick enough to get around opponents and get into the lane and dish and drop dimes or mm-hmm. get to the line. And I think the games against Rutgers, both of them, and against Ohio State, these the, the, it was clear those teams were coming out. They're extending out to 26, 27 feet. They're grabbing, they're clutching, their hands are on. It causes Iowa to get into its offense 26 feet away from the backboard. The, the bigs have to come out to the free throw line extended to receive the entry passes. And that means for them to be legitimate scoring threats, they've got to dribble to get closer. And we all know what's going to happen when Tyler Cook does that. It's, it's, it's unwatchable. And I think really as of late, I think this is a big part of Iowa's problem. Your thoughts? Um... I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, you know, I've I'm watched I've watched the last couple of years a ton of college basketball, not just the the Big Ten more than any other league, but uh, a lot of teams around the country. Um, in fact, as you and I are taping this right now, I, I was watching the uh, end of Florida State Virginia Tech win into overtime, and I'm watching the end of the Minnesota Purdue game right now, and we're going to have two Big Ten games go over the total tonight in one night and un- until the last couple of weeks of this season the under in, in virtually every big 10 game other than iowa when the iowa plays cashed what i mean by under you know just like in football vegas puts a total on what the total points scored in a game would be and i just sat here in the month of february and basically played the under uh, on, on on virtually every big 10 game and i mean it was covering constantly uh, and a lot of it is because of what you're talking about. Um, the other, there's another factor here too. You know, I heard Fran Fraschilla talking about this, the old um, uh, Manhattan and St. John's coach, and and Fran is very involved in NBA scouting. Uh, the NBA has him; he's one of their point people uh, in in scouting international talent for the NBA draft and the NBA draft combine. 
So it's not just college basketball play by play. I mean, he's involved really in basketball on a on a multi-level and a global scale. So I mean, he sees it all over the world. And I was listening to a uh, he was hosting a show on Sirius XM last week and the controversy with Fran McCaffrey and him, you know, the suspension and all that stuff came up. And one of the things that that Fran that Fran Finch, that Fran Franchilla said was that he thought of the power conferences, the the Big Ten had the worst officiating, and it wasn't even close, in his view. And he said the biggest issue that he saw is that um, there's a lot. Uh, you know, remember that line Kirk Ferentz had a couple of years ago when he said, you know, our twos are, are, are really threes and our threes yeah. are really fours. OK. And that uh, Fran, Fran said that outside of a couple of officials in the league, it, it's really a, it's a Big Ten officiating is really filled with twos and three level officials. And those guys are easily intimidated uh, by coaches, particularly home courts. And he thought that was a that was one of the reasons why, aside from the depth in the conference, one of the reasons why um, it's become so difficult to win games on the road in the league. So you know we're sitting here right now. Minnesota leads Purdue by two with five seconds left. If Purdue loses this game, um, it still will be in first place in the Big Ten because it won at Nebraska, it won at Penn State. Um, and it won, uh, there's another road game in there, um, Indiana. It won those three road games, I think, by a combined seven points. You know, And I think the Indiana-Purdue game, I, I think you know, the winner got to like 52 points. So that's, that's a big part of it. Now, this has been a lament of, in this league for a long time. I mean, I sent you a video that I found online from it was ES, when ESPN had the first round of the tournament back in the day, and it was Tim Brando and Dick Vitale, all of their in-studio hits from the first round of the 1989 NCAA tournament. And if you go watch some of those, I, I watched the, that entire three-hour video. Now, I did it over the course of like five days late at night, you know. But when I watched that video, every time a Big Ten team came on, Vitale, and, that, and you go back to 89, the flying Illini and Glenn Rice and – B.J. Armstrong, Roy Marble, and, you know, Richard Coffey. I mean, Coffey's dad was on, um, was on that minute, was on a, a Minnesota team that went to the NCAA tournament. Jay Burson at, in, at Ohio State, if you remember him. I mean, that was a great time in the league, and the league was really deep. Jay Edwards in Indiana won the league. And at that time, um, Vital and Brando, a constant theme they were bringing up 30 years ago, was Vital was wondering if the way the officials let him play in the Big Ten and the physical nature of the league was going to hurt them when they got in the NCAA tournament. And uh, they made calls that uh, they didn't let you do a lot of the clutching and grabbing and those sorts of things. So I don't think this is a new thing in the Big Ten. I don't know that it's going to change all that much because when we did have alpha officials in this league, Jim Bain, uh, Tom Rucker, uh, Ed Hightower, Ted Valentine, we all thought those guys were awful too. You know, so um, I, I think that there are some things that could be done. And the, and the, and the NCAA has, you know, they've got the, the, what is it, the hook and hold, you know, flagrant foul this yeah. year, you know, which in the Big Ten is pretty much known as the, uh, the Brad Davison rule, okay? But in the end, you know, you're, what you said is Iowa's problem with this is true. There is no Amir Coffey. 
there is no Xavier Simpson. There, there is, you know, and, um, you know, that's Iowa doesn't have a player, uh, a Cassius Winston doesn't have a guy that can beat that kind of defense. And so when you, if you're going to let the, if you're going to run into officiating, that's going to let you go. Uh, you know, we had to change our style of play, John. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we ran into this in the, we, we, John Beeline realized he came to the big 10 with a mindset very much like Fran McCaffrey. And he realized after a few years that we're going to just be a nine, you know, 10, 11 win team at best in this league. If we don't get a little more physical and play more defense um, and, and get guards. And so they got Darius Morris, Trey Burke, and then Derek Walton. They went out and got guys that could um, punish teams if they, for, if, if indeed they, they played that tight in the perimeter and, you know, break you down. Um, Iowa, unless you didn't want to leave the big 10, I don't know that the officiating anything it's, this is, it's been this way in this league, most of our lives. So um, I, it, you know, it is as the great prophet, Bill, Par, Bill, Bill Parcells once famously said, it is what it is. So at this point, if you're Iowa, I don't know that you're going to change, you know, you're going to have to go and recruit the kind of player that um, better fits the sort of league, that, the, the, the style of the league that you're in period. That may be um, Iowa is got two. They have got two road games this week at Wisconsin, at Nebraska. If they win either one of those, they're the sixth seed. They're not going to be improving their seed. So it's been very ugly. Steve, this team hasn't played a good game of basketball since beating Michigan. Now they've won three. One of them was pure luck. Um, to win that game at Rutgers on a banked-in shot from an angle that shouldn't have banked. And, you know, being down 15 to Northwestern to come back and win that was improbable. Uh, they, they just don't look very good. And I think both of these games are winnable. But just like you and I talked about last week, they had four games at that point in time. I think both of us said wouldn't be surprised if they won any one of those games individually or lost any one of those games individually and certainly haven't seen anything. Actually, if anything, it makes you a little more concerned given the, uh, given the defense that they have not been playing. Um, yeah, I, I agree. But really, other than you know, it's the last two games – they didn't play very well, but um, this is a tough league, John. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want. I'm not trying to be trite. It's, it is hard to win on the road in this conference. You know, I, I said, I, I, I tweeted some numbers at, at Bigger Ten this week, this over the weekend. Iowa has played the weakest schedule in the Big Ten according to Ken Palm, and it's the 37th toughest schedule in the country, brother. Okay, they're the only team in the league that hasn't played a top 30 schedule according to Ken Palm <laughs> all right and and Ken Palm is measuring strength of schedule not simply by W's and L's it's measured by your power rating your efficiency numbers so what that means is every night pretty much on average if you're a big 10 team every night you go out on the floor you're playing a team that's you know on average an NCAA tournament team Meaning that some nights you're playing Northwestern and some nights you're playing Michigan State, but on average you're playing an NCAA tournament team over the long haul pretty much every night. By the way, it's a final. Minnesota's pulled off the upset against Purdue and got a three-way tie for the title now going into the the, the final weekend. But um, this is a tough conference. Look at 
Now, are the defensive numbers inflated because the offensive teams aren't that good or the offensive teams, the, the defensive teams get the clutch and grab more than in other leagues? Or are the offensive numbers not that good because the, de- the teams are that good defensively? Well, the answer is yes. And the non-conference season bears that out. When, you know, Indiana was number 12 in the country after beating Marquette and Louisville and then went 3-12. and 12. Ohio State had two quad one Road, not just non-conference, not just, you know, tournament wins, road wins, uh, quad one road wins in the non-conference. Um, you look at what Michigan did to Villanova and, and to North Carolina. You look at what Michigan State's non-conference resume. That's one of the reasons why they lead the country in quad one wins in the entire sport. So we you know, go back to what Iowa did, that opening tournament in Madison Square Garden. And, and yeah, Oregon didn't turn out to be that good, but, at, you know, that's because they lost bowl. They had him when Iowa played him, you know. So um, this league is really, really good. And um, Jordan Bohannon has made up for uh, the deficiencies in the other areas that got exploited last year by just ridiculous clutch shooting. Absolutely just ridiculous. Some of the best you've ever seen in recent history in this league. Uh, But it's tough to maintain that. And. At some point, they're going to have to get a guy that can both keep opposing guards out of the lane and also get into the lane and and either finish or set a teammate up to finish. And then there's another problem I think Iowa has, and it's Luca Garza. He's not taking the step forward this year that I thought – I told you at the beginning of the year I thought he was going to be the Mo Wagner of the Big Ten this year. And he's not taking a step forward. And the problem that you have when he's not shooting well – is he's not a good defensive player. I mean, he really can't defend anybody in the post. But because he is so skilled offensively and such a tough matchup on the other end, you, you put up with the trade-off, all right? Well, if he's going to shoot poorly, if he's, gonna, if he's not going to hit value the basketball, now, he, now, now he's, not, he's a minus in the plus-minus because you're not getting what you want from him on the other end to justify the deficiencies he presents at the defensive end. So... Now you throw in the fact that um, teams can get virtually any look at the rim they want when he's in, when he's on the floor, uh, and and then you don't have the penetrator. Uh, that's we're st- you're starting to see some of the issues we saw last year are creeping back up. But I also think talk that they're on the bubble. I think I, I just finished going through a bracket, my annual perennial I once a year two weeks before selection Sunday bracket I know this gets said every year but this year it's actually true this is the weakest bubble I've ever seen I mean it's I I I was on another show this week and I said it's not a bubble it's a pimple okay these teams are pimples they're just their resumes are really poor I mean and it's a weird year Indiana right now has more quad one wins than Gonzaga who might be the number one overall seed in the tournament you know so I don't think Iowa is in any danger, is, 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 is on the bubble at all right now. Now, lose, lose two games this week, lose the first round of the Big Ten tournament, I might have a different answer, but I don't think they'll do that. Yeah, with Minnesota beating Purdue tonight, um, if Iowa would lose its next two games or its last two games and Minnesota wins at Maryland this weekend – and Ohio State wins its remaining two games, which they are playing against uh, Northwestern and Evanston, and then home against Wisconsin. 
Iowa would be the eight seed. It would lose a three-team tiebreaker to those two. It would lose a head-to-head tiebreaker with Minnesota. It would win a head-to-head tiebreaker with Ohio State, and those are for the six, seven, and eight seeds in the Big Ten Conference. So let me run, let me let me run something by you before we close this out. Any coincidence that kind of the two dips in Iowa's season seemingly have coincided with Gary Dolphin suspensions? Um, I think Iowa's, you know, they lost Wisconsin and Michigan, those two games. Dolph was suspended for those two. Those are two pretty good teams. Michigan, Michigan, State. Michigan State, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, Michigan State, correct. So I don't know. But, you know, I heard Adam Haluska talk um, this week on a podcast. I think KCJJ, Pat Hardy, com. And, you know, he talked about as a player, you want routine. You don't want disruption to routine. Mm -hmm. You don't want distraction. And there's definitely been a lot of distractions relative to Iowa basketball the past week. I don't think there's anything about it. Can I put a definitive yes or no on this? Probably not. But does it factor in somewhere, somehow, some way? Potentially. And people might be thinking, well, John... Gary Dolphin doesn't play. He's just an announcer. Sure. But Iowa had a thrilling victory against Indiana last week. Yep. And the players had to answer questions about Gary Dolphin since the grownups weren't. What did I tell you is the number one sin of coaching. What's the number one sin? Taking the attention off your players when they deserve it. Number one cardinal sin. And Iowa did that. They did that. It took the, and I don't understand the decision. In all my years, I do not ever remember a basketball coach responding to being suspended multiple games by having different assistant coaches take the lead in different games because they had the scout. I've never heard of that ever. And you talk about breaking a routine, that'll break the routine too. Hey, we had a guy, we, this coach, you know, was on the comm, you know. It's a little bit, that's a little bit like Kirk saying, well, you know, in this solar system, Chekhov's on the comm, and in this solar system, Sulu is. <laughs> oh, that's such a good analogy. Have you ever heard of that? I've never heard of that, John. I, I you know, ever. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not well versed on the, the week to week coach has been suspended for a game and who coaches that game, so I, I don't know. Um, how often is it each year that a coach at a high major program gets suspended for more than one game? Not very. Not often. Usually there's like a guy a year, like I think it was Jim Beheim a couple of years ago, you know, but I've never heard of rotisserie coaches. I, I've just never heard of it. Well, I, yeah, I, what, what, right. But regardless, Fran, Fran criticized the integrity of an official. He deserved to be suspended. He, he said, you know, you MF and cheater. Now, I don't know exactly, you know, was he meaning the guy was helping shave points for gambling? Or is he basically saying what I brought up earlier is if something in the rule book is a foul and you're not calling it as a foul, is that cheating? I don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. You you just can't do it. You can't do it. And and when he was asked about it, you know, in, in, in the press conference, the apology, whatever press conference last week. 
he was asked if he meant that and he's like well in some ways no in some ways yes i mean he was not apologetic at all no he wasn't and i think i think he's hurting your program and here's why it this is getting um, this is like the end of the bob knight era and i'm not saying he's he's that combustible I'm not saying that. I'm not, I, it's a, this is an analogy, not a moral equivalency. All right. When Knight was winning titles, you know, and you and I've talked about this for years. Back in those days, you knew there were two arenas in our league that you had to be 10 points better than the home team to get out of there with a win. Mackey under Gene Cady, Assembly Hall with Bob Knight, right? They so intimidated the officials. The, the crowd was so intimidating that you, I mean, that was a 10 point handicap. Period. You had to be that much better than them to get out of there with a win. Because the refs, you were, you were getting no judgment calls. None. But if you look at towards the end of Knight's era, when he stopped winning titles and he couldn't get out of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, this began, um, it, it began snowballing. Because it's a little bit like when a bully gets beat. You know, um, I, wa- I stood up to a bully in school in the seventh grade. Kid that got held back a couple times, and his, and his name was Bud. That was Buddy, wait, 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 wait. Buddy Ravel was not Buddy Ravel. No, I don't want to give his last name in case it comes back. Because you know, the, he if I do that with my look, he's like a pastor now with like nine foster kids. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to do that. To the well, guy, okay? e- e- either that or he's somebody that will come kill you. Or that that could be true too. But it was a guy named Bud, and he got held back for a couple of grades. And he used to do this thing where he'd walk up to you in the hallway. He was twice our size. He'd walk up to you in the hallway and put his shoulder into you and not just walk right into you every time, you know, and it hurt like hell. Finally, I got tired of it one day and pushed back. And it was, I mean, he just literally started crying at the idea that someone would push back. And then another kid um, named Jason uh, actually knocked him, knocked him out in the hallway all right. And and what do you think happened when the rest of the kids saw the bullies lip bleed? What do you think they did? Like Dude, like, like shark like sharks to chum. You bet it was, man. Oh yeah. <laughs> you bet. Old Mo switches sides. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, hey, I'm hey, I'm gonna get me some of that. All right. He's in that mode now with these officials. And you where you really saw it, and we talked about it at the time, was at Minnesota a few weeks ago. He's trying to get teed, trying. And the official literally walks over there and says, I'm not giving you what you want. Starts to walk away. Fran continues to berate. And the official walks over there again, and he's like, no, hey, fire your team up another way. I'm not playing your game. And there is a Brad Davidson thing here. Brad Davidson, if you watch Wisconsin now, he's like legitimately drawing charges that aren't getting called. Because he flopped so often and so much that it embarrassed the officials and word got around, you know? And so now it's hindering his ability to play really good defense. And I think the same thing is happening with McCaffrey. I think now that there's this idea of, we were joking about this a few years ago. And now I think it's, I think it's made its rounds among the officials in the league. All right, let's get France tirade out of the way. So we can just go ahead and get on with the rest of the game and finish, you know, now that, and check that box. And so I think it has zero effectiveness whatsoever. It's only a loss leader. 
It's only a minus now. I thought the T that was given to his son was ridiculous watching the game at the time. That was a ridiculous technical on the kid. If anything, he got fouled. But again, I think that goes to the, I think that goes to the reputation that is making the rounds, you know, and if, you know, this is where you've got to put the shoe on the other foot. If, if, um, if, if Iowa had a player that was known for, for, for drawing charges and had been caught flopping a few times and it worked. And then, you know, it, it, it ends up, you know, on social media. So the refs see it and a couple of games go by and suddenly he wasn't getting any charge calls. Fran McCaffrey's a good coach. We did not say to that young man, Hey, you have to change your approach. You have to, you have to be in different position. You know, the refs are kind of on you. Don't you think you would do that? Right. Right. Well, this works for the coaches too. They, they, they're, they're on to them. They've got this thing figured out now, and he doesn't have enough capes on the wall to intimidate them. They're not afraid of them. And so now it's just kind of a contrivance. And I know how you feel about how you feel about contrivances. So um, he's got to, he's got to switch it up a little bit. You know, he's got to actually start heaping some hot coals on some referees heads uh, by killing them with kindness, go to a different, go to a change up pitch because everybody's got the whole Fran is pissed act. And it just isn't, it, it's not moving anybody except uh, in ways that hurt the program now. Yeah, I agree. I, I just don't know that Fran has that in him. I, I, I think he lacks control. I'm just, I'm, I'm only asking for adulthood. Yeah. I, I think he lacks control. So, and that's another problem. All right. That'll wrap up this installment of the HN Podcast. For Steve and John, we'll talk to you soon.